Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you will, be turning in your Bibles to Luke 14. Uh, for the past Sunday and this Sunday, we're in the parables, as we have been now for some time, under the category of duties in the kingdom. And uh, this will be the last parable that we will consider under uh, this category, and it's going to be the parable of the uh, great feast. Uh, if we talk about duties of the kingdom, the duty of inviting the lost to the kingdom is certainly one of them. And that's what this parable is about. It's about primarily inviting. The definition of the verb invite means to make a polite, formal, or friendly request to someone to go somewhere or to do something. Of course, in a spiritual application, invite means to request someone to consider and partake of the blessings of the kingdom of God, sharing the gospel in a nutshell. So God expects those of us in the kingdom to invite those outside to the blessings of the kingdom of God. I don't know exactly when the custom uh, originated in the brotherhood to offer a uh, invitation at the end of a service. It's a good one, it's a good tradition. And uh, I think we should continue with it. But I think originally the idea was in the context of the gospel meetings, of course that's almost a thing of the past now, the gospel meetings that we used to have uh, the primary goal of which was to preach the gospel. We would go out in the community and uh, we would invite people to come for gospel sermons. And so the invitation was to those uh, outsiders, if you will, uh, to come in and under our influence and to uh, hear the gospel with uh, hopes, of course, of them obeying. I can remember the early days uh, when I was growing up here in this community. Tent meetings were a big thing. Remember those? Uh, there was a tent meeting uh, just up the road here at the crossroads, uh, Mr. Paul Gillespie's pasture. Uh, there were uh, tent meetings that I remember over on the Fairfield Road in a pasture over there. Of course, there was the uh, tent meeting over at the side of the old building that was the beginning of the Midway Church of Christ, eventually. And during those gospel meetings, those tent meetings, uh, it was all about evangelism. It was about preaching the gospel. And the preacher, I remember uh, Cal McWhorter and Ray McWhorter and others, they would mount one of these big horn speakers up on the top of their car, and they would drive through the community here announcing a gospel meeting. And at the side of the tent, there were loudspeakers mounted on the outside pointing to where the people parked. I remember 
as a kid, as a uh, young boy, feeling very important because me and maybe one or two of my buddies were given flashlights and we told people where to park. And that was very important. <laughs> but as it turned out, some would trickle inside where the seats were set up but many, I remember, would come up and they would park and they would stay in their cars and they would hear the gospel sermons. There sometimes was a portable baptistry up front and there were baptisms, there were people obeying the gospel. That was all about inviting, inviting the people, the lost of the community to come hear the gospel. That's what we're talking about. So the parable of the great feast illustrates this. It illustrates the kingdom duty of inviting. This uh, parable begins in Luke 14. Uh, the first uh, 16 verses really constitutes a little bit of a parable in and of itself, but really is the backdrop of the main uh, parable that begins in verse 16. Uh, but we will look at the context first. So beginning with Luke chapter 14, verse 1, follow along with me. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that is falling into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner, or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this is what leads up to the parable that we will be studying. Notice what has happened here in these verses. 
Jesus has been invited by a prominent Pharisee to his house to eat bread on the Sabbath. Now that in and of itself is a little surprising, isn't it? Given the uh, nature of the Pharisees uh, and their uh, ambivalent attitude toward Jesus from the beginning, and maybe the fellow had ulterior motives in doing so, but we're not told. It's just that a, a prominent Pharisee invited Jesus into his house on the Sabbath day to eat bread. And on the way there, evidently, there are some of the Pharisees around him, maybe escorting him to the house. On the way, he heals a man that comes before him and he defends his healing on the Sabbath to the Pharisees who remain silent. And once in the house, Jesus observes who has and who has not been invited and he instructs the host. He lectures the host on who should have been invited. And at this point, you can almost imagine in your mind the host deceiving and glaring at Jesus. How dare you come into my house at my invitation and you are instructing me on who I should have invited and who I shouldn't have invited? And we can imagine just a very eerie silence and maybe in this context it's conceivable that there's a man feeling uncomfortable and wanting to break this awkward silence he simply says that uh, isn't it going to be a happy thing to eat bread in the kingdom and so Jesus responds to him with this parable and so we continue with our reading with verse 16, with the parable of the great feast. But he said to him, the man who had brought up this comment about happy is the man who eats bread in the kingdom. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and, to, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be full or filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So here we have the parable of the great feast. I want us to uh, uh, look at three aspects then 
of this parable. One, we want to look at the divine banquet. And secondly, the frivolous excuses. And then third, the universal invitation. So let's consider, first of all, in this parable, the divine banquet itself. And the first truth that uh, we see in this parable is that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a sumptuous banquet. Uh, we know all about that, don't we? Uh, as, as we are able to travel occasionally to different congregations in the brotherhood, almost always at some point there is a potluck. And man, if anybody can cook, Church of Christ women know how to do it. Right? Amen. Uh, you look at these potlucks. I, I remember, uh, what's it been, two, three Sundays ago, I was at the Northport Church in uh, Tuscaloosa, or just above Tuscaloosa, a rather large congregation. And uh, after the services, there was a, a, a potluck. And that table ran from just about here to the door back there, overflowing with food. Everybody had enough to eat and more. So we know all about banquets. We enjoy it. It's good time for fellowship and for eating delicious food. Well, Jesus' story shows that entering God's kingdom is like coming to a feast. That's how Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. A common, I've discovered in, in my study for this lesson, a common belief at this time was that when the Messiah came in the golden age of his reign, that all Jews would be invited to sit down at the Messiah's table. And it may be that Jesus was taking advantage of this notion to teach that the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. Jesus goes to links to describe the kingdom as not being like a long, dreary funeral procession to the time that Jesus comes back again. Rather, it's a festive occasion of warm fellowship and unheard of delights. So each follower of Christ in the kingdom, of course, must bear his own burdens and cross, but Jesus makes it clear that he did not come to darken an already gloomy world. His mission was to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. So it's a feast. It's not a funeral possession. Now, since that time, of course, the message of Christ has been distorted beyond recognition. And what I'm talking about is that, that many have come to believe that one cannot enjoy himself if he is a Christian. That notion is still out there. That to be a Christian is to denounce every joy and pleasure that abounds in a beautiful world. That notion, and you've probably encountered this, uh, the Christians are just doomsayers, uh, naysayers, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and 
How can you be happy in everything if you're a Christian and uh, abide by the rules of Christianity? Well, really, this distorted view comes really from a, a distorted, distorted view of Jesus himself. Now, of course, it's true that Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies of being a man of sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, and bruised for our iniquities, as we read from Isaiah 53. That's true. But the picture of Jesus as a suffering servant has been magnified out of proportion by early descriptions of Jesus' physical appearance. Now just think for a while of the ancient art and the sculptures uh, that have come, you know, from third and fourth centuries on down uh, to recent times. How do they depict Jesus? It's not as a person that is happy with some children around him and the children enjoying his presence and everything. No, it, it's a, a sad Jesus that we see. Uh, the description uh, is that uh, Jesus uh, never smiled. He never laughed. He, he did a lot of crying. And this influenced the art and the sculpture of the world. And in turn, the people's attitude and conception of Jesus being dour and sad and oppressed. But if you look at the Gospels, the Jesus of the Gospel is as human as he is divine. Uh, years ago, uh, Kay and doing handwork and everything for children's Bible classes that she was teaching, came across the artwork of uh, uh, Francis and who? Richard. Yeah, Richard Hook and his wife. I don't know if you teachers are familiar with that, but the, the artwork there pictures Jesus as being a human, and, and it's in pleasant surroundings. He's, uh, he's enjoying himself. And it shows him with, with young children, the children just delighting at his presence. That's the Jesus of the Gospels. He's not an ascetic or a recluse. Uh, he had a rich sense of humor. If you look at Matthew 7, uh, the first several verses there, you can't help but uh, put yourself in, in that context and kind of chuckle when he said, well, consider a man walking around with a big old board sticking out of his eye. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Jesus said that. Uh, I think it was David in just a recent sermon or a lesson talked about uh, Jesus referring to Herod as you go tell that old fox uh, this and that uh, about the kingdom, what you are seeing. So Jesus was a real human. He had his times of sorrow. Uh, that is true. But he was not a sourpuss, if you will. He had an opportunity to be, you know, and he'd gone down on the cross. Right. He showed us that no matter what we face, we can still be happy. Absolutely. 
So the joy of Christians in the kingdom does not consist of sensuous living. That's not what makes a person happy in reality, but a spiritual and eternal and heavenly joy is the joy of Christians. The joys of God's favor are many. The redemption from sin, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the saints, and the peace of God that passes understanding. These are just some of the joys that Christians have each day that makes, uh, as it were, each day a feast day. We come to the table of the Messiah and we enjoy the feast that has been laid before us. So this is the great banquet. It's the kingdom of God. It's like a great sumptuous feast in which we come together to enjoy uh, filling our stomachs and fellowshipping with each other. It's a joyous occasion. So in the story, uh, the host is putting on a great feast and he has invited past tense. He has invited some of his friends to this. Now, to look at the host response when the servants come back, we have to understand a little bit of background to uh, his response to the excuses given for not attending. Uh, again, according to what I've looked at in studying for this, there was an oriental custom of the time that a general announcement was sent out to certain ones of a coming event stating the date, but not the hour. So when the preparations had been made and the servant went out to announce the exact hour, all began to make excuses for not attending. And the text says they all uh, alike began to make excuses. And understand that the word that's translated alike here can also be translated as meaning at once. If that is the proper interpretation or translation of this word here, it would read that they all at once refused and offered an excuse. In other words, they just, didn't, they just simply didn't want to come. So at once they said, no, I, I'm just married. I've got to go be more. You understand that, don't you? I've bought five yoke of oxen. You can't just expect me to just not be attentive to them. I've got to go and see it. And, and the field that I've bought, I've got to go. You, you understand, don't you? I can't come. Well, why was the host so angry? If his friends were not going to come, they should have declined at the first invitation and not waited until the last moment. In other words, it seems from what I've read that, that to refuse an invitation that you've already accepted and then you refuse it's a grave insult. So much so that some, something that I read, it, it would even be basis for war if that happened. That kind of 
insult. Well, put it in our current context, to refuse an invitation uh, to salvation by obeying the gospel. Once a person hears the gospel and they understand what Christ did on the cross and the payment that was paid for our salvation and to know the conditions of accepting that free gift of salvation, that by believing in Jesus as the Son of God, by repenting of my sins, by confessing the name of Christ as the Son of God before others, and being buried with Christ in baptism in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins, you can be saved. To reject that is like slapping Jesus in the face. The Jews did, and in doing so, they rejected grace. And the same is true today. If one who hears the gospel understands it, knows what it is, knows where he is or she, and yet refuses it, is slapping Jesus in the face. It's rejecting God's grace. That's serious. That is serious. Well, look at the excuses. The first two excuses have to do with earthly possessions. Both men were absorbed in their own interest. They didn't have time for anything else. They had a lot on their plate. They had a lot to do. And many are like that today, of course, both inside the church and outside the church. The life that now is gets all the attention. Their business is their Bible, and making a living is their creed. Never having time for others, never having time for worship, prayer, or considering the future life. Maybe this is one of the reasons that God provided for a special service of worship every Lord's Day. Because on that day, this day, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, there is a special call to put aside the world world is not or should not be in this room right now. A special call to put aside the world and to give attention to God. In the assembly, brother meets with brother for encouragement and to remember the sacrifice and the cost of sin, the cost of my salvation. And that is one of the things about the assembly was so disturbing during COVID times that it, this was disturbed and still it seems to be affecting the church. Uh, we have found in some of the travels that we have done that it's pretty much the same everywhere in the brotherhood that even three years out now from this pandemic the assembly numbers are not what they were 
pre-pandemic. There are still people not returning to the assembly. And internet is a wonderful thing and it's being used for a very good uh, purpose. And uh, most congregations now of any size have streaming services. And this is good, if you're sick and you can't be here, it's great to be able to virtually be with the congregation. But it's nothing like being right here where we are, right here. I can look out, I can shake your hand and I can congratulate you on something or encourage you and you can encourage me. We can grasp each other's hand, we can hug one another. You can't do that when you're not in assembly. God intended for the church to assemble and he is here with us where one or two are gathered together in his name. And we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is so much the more as you see the day approaching. And we are to encourage one another toward the assembly. So we must be sure that the demands of business, earthly possessions do not disturb the demands of God. Well, the third excuse has to do with earthly ties. This man placed obligations of his family and home first and expected that everybody would understand. Surely you would. <laughs> Doesn't the Bible talk about the honor of uh, a man and woman marrying each other and forming a godly family? Doesn't the Bible teach that? You understand if, if I can't come to your feast because I've just gotten married, right? Well, it really is a paradox that something as, as lovely and good and sweet as the home is can, in fact, stand between a man and his God if we allow it. Our home and family ties can occupy the chief spot in our heart if we're not careful. So the excuse of the man who could not leave his wife should be compared with what Jesus said just a few verses later in this text in verse 26. Notice what it says in verse 26 of Luke 14. Jesus said, if any man comes to me and does not hate, or in other words, to love less, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot, cannot be my disciple. So very quickly we come then to the universal invitation. The flimsy excuses made, by the, made the host angry. Those especially invited did not want to come, so he sent his servant out into the city and the country to invite any and all who would accept. And the immediate application of this uh, parable, of course, points to the Jews. They had rejected Jesus and would not sit at the Messiah's table. Therefore, the lower classes of people, the publicans, the sinners, even the heather, would take their places at the royal table. 
yet there is a general application here that God wants his house to be full. I thought that was a striking uh, element to this parable. Uh, the host was wanting his house to be full. It wasn't just a matter of uh, inviting a, a few select guests to come. Evidently, he had made uh, uh, invitations to many. We are told of three here. But he was wanting his house to be full. He had a large house and was able to put out uh, a sumptuous feast and had uh, a table big enough. He wanted his house to be full. He was full of generosity. And he wanted to share that. And that's a, a striking point concerning the kingdom of God. Yes, the scriptures do teach that uh, the road is wide and the way is narrow, that uh, the wide road leads to eternal damnation, the narrow way and the one, the road less traveled, leads to life. It's difficult, it's straight. Few there will be that will find their way to heaven because of the wide, broad way. But that uh, being true, nonetheless, does not diminish from the fact that Jesus, or God, wants his house, his kingdom, to be full. And so when once his invitation in the story is refused, he returns again and goes to others in order that some will feast at his banquet. This all comes down uh, to the Great Commission. And we know what that is. It's worldwide. It is a commission given to his apostles and through them and God's word to every Christian is to invite the whole world to sit at the Messiah's table Come into the kingdom of God. The gospel is for all. And the love of God desires a multitude of guests. And so again, the Jews, and I believe knowing full well many of them, maybe most of them, knowing full well that it has to be that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's just no mistaking it. Nicodemus was one of the ones that saw it. And I'm sure many more. And we are told that there are others who believed, but rather did not speak up for fear of being cast out of the synagogues. But the Jews who rejected God's invitation and their inheritance rejected grace, the grace of God, offering salvation to all. So the universal invitation is for us to administer. We, by the grace of God, I'm sure I'm speaking to 
practically everybody in, in this assembly, have heard at some time or another the gospel. Maybe we were raised hearing it, but at some point we came to understand it and make it our own. We heard the gospel. We believed it. And we obeyed the conditions that God gave to accept, to take hold of this free gift of salvation. And we have it. And as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus' son continues to cleanse us from our sins. And we have that. We are at the feast. We are enjoying the feast. But God wants us to invite everybody to what you and I enjoy, the grace of God. And so we are compelled to invite the lost into the kingdom. And we do that by various means. It's done from this pulpit. It's done from this podium. It's done in sending out World Bible School things. It's done through uh, World English Institute. It is done on the job when you get an open window with your colleague and you share with him the gospel, those friendship bridges that you can cross, people who trust you but are lost, just being a good example, inviting people to worship, or to talk with somebody who could sit down with them in a Bible study. Numerous ways that every single one of us can be involved in inviting. And that's what this parable is about. It's about inviting those outside the kingdom into the kingdom. And I suppose uh, that... Uh, the parable of the great feast is best summed up in a passage that all of us know, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And those who hear and believe and are baptized will be saved. But those who hear and do not accept will be condemned. That's it. God wants his kingdom filled. It's up to us to invite people to his great feast. Those who accept will see eternal life. Those who reject will be lost. Well, that's it. I appreciate your attention, and there hasn't been uh, room or opportunity for uh, comments, but I appreciate your attention. And we move on from today. We continue with the parables, but others, uh, I think maybe Paul will be next in another category of parables, and so we will continue then. Thank you.